And let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. And let's take time to pray. And I would like to ask you to uh, pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders, representatives. Pray for one another. Gay Barry has tested positive for COVID. Pray for her. There are more needs than that, though. Pray for people that you know about who are hurting, who are struggling with things. Pray for people who have problems and storms in their life, in their family, jobs, financially, those type of things. Pray for them. And pray for somebody that you know who is lost. Their only hope, of course, is Jesus. We know that. We need to act like it and act on it. And so I would ask you to uh, pray for somebody who's lost and ask God to draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we do come today because we know that you commanded us to pray. And we ask you to forgive us that our prayer lives are not stronger and better and that we haven't grasped what it means to pray without ceasing. Not yet. And we want to ask, Lord, that before now and our entrance into eternity, teach us, like the disciples said, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray sincerely. Teach us to pray faithfully. Teach us to pray with power. And Lord, as we think about who all needs prayer, we want to pray for President Biden and Vice President Harris. We want to pray for their cabinet. We want to pray for their advisors. And we want to pray, Father, that uh, every government needs a Daniel. And we want to pray that you would provide a Daniel for this administration who would speak truth and give sound advice and have influence and impact for God. We want to pray, Father, that as we think about the government, the Senate, the House of Representatives, and we want to pray that they would have wisdom and we want to pray that godly people would run and be elected for office and that your word and your truth would be represented represented in the House and in the Senate. We want to pray, Father, that you would stop wicked agendas. And we want to pray, Lord, that uh, you would help our nation and shed your grace upon us. We don't deserve it. That's why we need your grace. For governors, for the state legislatures, for mayors, for city councils, for school boards. Oh, Father, how we pray you would work and work on the local level for your glory. And how we pray for judges from the Supreme Court on down. Give them wisdom and give them strength and give those who believe right the backbone and the courage to stand up and not to wilt before this ungodly culture and the pressures that must come upon them. Help them, Lord, help them. Father, we pray for ourselves that we might be salt and light 
And we want to pray that we would be a witness for Christ. We want to pray that we would be something that would shine and someone that would shine in the darkness and that others would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven because we let our light shine before men. Help us not to hide under the bushel, but to be bold and to be strong. Bless believers all over the world, especially those who are suffering persecution. And uh, thank you for the freedoms that we have. Preserve us. And Father, uh, we pray for our own church family. and We pray for those who are sick, those who are suffering, those who are going through storms and trials right now. And we want to pray that you would sustain them. We want to pray that you would heal them. We want to pray that you would get them through these. And they would testify of answered prayer and testify of the power of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we want to pray that somehow through us and through our church, through us as individuals, you would get the gospel out to the world, to the lost. And we want to pray, Father... For those we know that are lost, that uh, we would be able to plant or we would be able to water. And oh Lord, we really ask that you would allow us to be a part of the harvest. Save the lost and use us as you bring in your elect for the glory of Jesus Christ. And take us personally and draw us close to you and heal us strengthen us and bless us and empower us to be what you want us to be and forgive us in all the areas where we fall short and by your grace help us and correct those things and we pray all of this asking you to anoint your word today and anoint us to really hear from God today and we pray all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the 22nd chapter of Exodus. We're just going to look at uh, two verses this morning. And the reason we're doing that is because what this particular thing addresses, I know it's not a typical Palm Sunday message, but I felt impressed to stay with this because this really does address the culture in which we live. Our culture is so obsessed with sex and sexuality, and it seems to permeate everything that we do, even to the genders that they say that we can choose, and uh, perversion, and immorality, and the breakup of homes, and the breakup of families, and even people's personal walk with God of course, is affected by all of this. In the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it tells us, since we want to know the will of God, it says, and this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Some translations say fornication. And then it goes on to tell us that to be involved in sexual sin is actually defrauding someone else. And that the Lord is the avenger of such. In other words, he doesn't let this type of sin just go uh, unchallenged and undisciplined in the lives of his people. 
This is something that he chastises. This is something that we think is no big deal or we think it's just simply normal and God has another thing to say about it. And we've got to line ourselves up, not with the culture, not with our society, not with the entertainment industry, as vile and wicked as it is, but we've got to line ourselves up with the Word of God. It's a little difficult to get to that in this culture. There's a lot of resistance. You're walking upstream when you walk in holiness and purity, especially in this area. But I also want to say to you, if you have faltered in that area, you're certainly not alone. And uh, this is a, a thing that we understand. This is a thing that the Lord is compassionate toward and gracious toward, but it's also something that He will not tolerate uh, if we don't confess it and forsake it. And that includes everything. The word fornication includes uh, everything from just the thought life all the way to the most vile things you could think of, even things like uh, bestiality and those type of things. Uh, it, it's an all-inclusive word. In fact, in the Greek New Testament, the word fornication uh, in the Greek is porneia. Does that sound familiar? And so pornography is included in that. And God wants his people to be free from these things. He even addresses it here in Exodus chapter 22, uh, verse 16. Because this is not new. This is not something that just affects our culture or our society. This is something that has affected every society. The Israelis are going to leave Mount Sinai and they're going to head toward Canaan. Boy, the Canaanites were particularly perverse people and there were things that they would be involved in that, I mean, we can't even imagine anybody doing. Now, we're headed that direction and we're getting closer and closer and closer but if you think America and our society is the worst, it's not even close to the worst. As bad as it is, it's not even close to being the worst. Um, it's, it's awful, some of the things that you find and that you would read about in the Bible. And when you read about some of the religions of Baal and Ashtaroth and Molech and those kind of gods that are in the Old Testament the unspeakable things that they would do. In fact, uh, for Moloch, there would be women mothers that would throw their own infants into fire to sacrifice them to uh, Moloch. And uh, all kinds of perversions, all kinds of things. When you get into the New Testament, it's not much better in Roman and Greek society. And uh, it, it carries on even to this day. And so the Lord has a, a word and he has a law that he wants to give us. Now remember what we're looking at now in Exodus 21 and 22. It's not a comprehensive thing. God has given us ten commandments and then he gives us case laws or case studies for each one of these. Now go down to Exodus 22 verse 16. It says, if a man entices or seduces a virgin who is not betrothed, uh, basically engaged, 
and lies with her, that's uh, sexual relations, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. Verse 17, if her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the bride price of virgins. In other words, he pays the dowry regardless, whether they marry or whether they don't. Say, why would somebody do that? Well, in the days that this is written, if a woman was known not to be a virgin, it was very difficult for her to marry. And so paying the bride price, paying the dowry, would help to ensure that she's just not left destitute and she's not just left to uh, something even worse, maybe prostitution or something uh, that would be illegal in order to make a living, in order to uh, take care of her needs. And so God has some words to say about this, but you'll also notice that the fact that he takes care of uh, people in this situation tells you that God is a compassionate God. This is a God who understands the pressures, he understands the temptation, and he also understands our failures in this area. This is a God who has been touched by us. We have a high priest, the book of Hebrews says, that he's not indifferent to what we are going through. He knows and he understands. He was tempted, listen to this, in all points. Think about that. And think about what that means. As are we. Tempted in all points as are we. Jesus has been there. Jesus has faced the pressure. Jesus has faced the temptation that comes from the enemy. Jesus has dealt with all of it. And yet the Bible goes on to say, yet without sin. Because had he sinned, he would no longer be qualified to be our sacrifice. He would be just another sinner bearing out the wages of sin, which is death. The criminals on the cross, you remember, one of them said, here we are on the cross getting what we deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And that's what impressed him so much. And it ought to imp impress us as well. To think that Jesus would live on earth and live under temptation and yet do it without sin. And why did he do that? Well, number one, because he's God. And the Bible says God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. Uh, God is above that and he is showing that in the way that he lives. Whenever the tempter comes, the devil himself, and Jesus is able to handle that, that is designed to give us confidence that our God knows how to handle the devil and knows how to handle temptation, and he is always victorious over it, so that if you and I will walk in his power, in his fullness, yielded to him according to his word, so we too can walk in victory over sin. We don't have to be enslaved to sin. You don't have to be enslaved to sin. It also tells us that because of this, he was qualified to be our substitute on the cross. 
Just like in the Old Testament, the lamb was supposed to be unblemished. Jesus was unblemished as well. In a perfect relationship before his father without sin so that he could be the innocent one bearing the wrath of God in our place. So it tells us that God is the power over sin and that God is also the redeemer for those who have fallen into sin. And sexual sin is not the unpardonable sin. It may have consequences. And it may bring guilt. And it may bring shame. It may bring things upon our life that we never intended. And that when we were tempted, the enemy whispered in our ear, Nobody will ever know. Live a little. Have fun. There's nothing wrong with it. And then as soon as we did it, then everything changes. And the threat is you'll be exposed and everybody will know about it. And what will those people at the church think about you if they knew what you really were? Well, here's the good news. God knows. And God is the God who is compassionate towards sinners. And God is the God who forgives our sins. Somebody say amen to that. God forgives sinners. And so as we look at these verses, just these two verses, what are they saying to us? Well, may God grant his blessing on the reading of his word so that we can understand and we can comprehend and so that when we leave here, we are more in tune with his views instead of the views of the world. Now, first of all, will you notice that he gives us the case that is to be examined. What is the case? Well, it's something that happens every day. It's something that happens, and you probably know somebody who has been in a situation like this. If a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her. Now, how often does that happen? How often do you hear about people that are living together without marriage? How often do you hear about people that are dating and one of the first things that's on their mind is how soon should I have sex with this guy or with this girl? How often do you hear about people that it just doesn't even cross their mind that they should wait until they are married? I mean, after all, we don't want to be puritanical. We don't want to be repressive. We don't want to... Uh, go against what is natural, all that kind of stuff. And what they don't think about is the consequences. What they don't think about is the way that it will affect your mind and it will affect your life all the rest of your days. Psychologists tell us, and I think this is true, that whatever your first sexual experience is, you will live the rest of your life trying the bond is so strong you'll live the rest of your life trying to recreate that and that's why in our society as we have gone to just no boundaries and do whatever you want and if it feels good do it and people are so frustrated and people are so uptight about this and people have so many hang-ups and so many problems you would think we would be free this was supposed to uh, well, the sexual revolution was supposed to set us free. And even the invention of the birth control pill was motivated by the fact that women were frustrated because men could have sex outside of marriage with as many partners as they want, and they bore no consequences. But women would have pregnancies, things like that. And so 
They invented the pill so that women could be as promiscuous as men without the consequences. In fact, former President Obama said one time that he wanted abortion to be available because if his daughters made a mistake, he did not want them, listen carefully to this phrase, this is a verbatim quote, quote, punished with a baby, unquote. And that's the way we've gone. And as we have gone from back in the 60s with sexual freedom and liberation, notice how that has progressed into different types of perversion and different problems. And look at the confusion and the hurt and the pain that abounds from all of that. Again, it's nothing new. It's been around since the beginning of time this is something that humans have battled with since Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. This is something that you and I have to battle with. And we all hear stories about pastors who have fallen and deacons who have fallen and church people who have fallen. And we've got to recognize the fact that none of us are above this. None of us are immune to this. And none of us have the power within ourselves to overcome this. This is why we need instruction like this. This is why we need a reminder about this. And this is why we need the power and the grace of God in these situations. And so we look at this case and notice this is not talking about rape. This is not a man who forced a young woman this is a man who enticed her and she became willing. These are two willing partners. And they may say something like this, but we love each other. What's wrong with us in not expressing our, our, to express our love uh, in this manner? And after all, don't you hear this a lot? Marriage is just a piece of paper. What's the big deal? We're married in our hearts, they might say. And all of that. Well, it's interesting whenever they do actually get married. And then, let's say that the man cheats on his wife. She's all upset because after all, we are married. And you want to go, I thought it was just a piece of paper. And if it's just a piece of paper before, it's just a piece of paper afterward. And if it's no big deal to violate it before, why are you upset now? All he's doing is acting upon his sinful nature and uh, you shouldn't have any right to do it. But if marriage is commanded by God and if it is a covenant between a man and a woman for life, now you've got grounds to stand on something. And God has ordained that society should function with marriage being more than just a contract between consenting adults, or marriage should just be something that is done because it's the next step. We've already been uh, romantically and emotionally and sexually involved. The next step is marriage. Let's keep it in order. We uh, find that as people that are made up of a body and a soul, the personality that we have, and a spirit, we find that today people are getting together hooking up, and they get united bodily, and then they don't even know the person, may not even know their name, they don't know anything about them, and now they're trying to find that out, and they may not like the person that they find. 
and they unite bodily, then they try to unite in their soul, getting to know the other person, and the spiritual aspect comes last. Have you ever noticed the Bible does it opposite? The Bible says that when we get in a relationship with another person, that the first thing, we are united in our spirit, then we are united in our soul as we get to know them, and then after we take our marriage vows, then we are united in body. And that is such a better way and such a more happy and pleasing way. It's a better way to raise children. It's a better way for you and your emotional health. It's a better way for you to live for God and to walk with God and to be free in your life to do it the way God says. And so I challenge you to do that. This is the case in which we are Uh, looking at and the case that we are examining and the case that is laid out before us. Because after all, these people here that do this, they're just doing what's natural and doing what is, uh, you know, expected in all of this. And yet God has something to say about it. And so it's clear the Bible teaches that sex before marriage, premarital sex, is a sin. You can't get around that. You can't excuse it. It is a sin. But as we said before, we have a compassionate, understanding, sympathetic God, a high priest who forgives sin and prays his name for that. And we understand that uh, this is something that whether there's a pregnancy that results from this or not, this is what the Lord is addressing in here. I was uh, talking to someone almost 40 years ago and we had a young lady in our church who was expecting a baby and she was upset about it and upset at the fact that the church and people would show kindness to her and she said, we have no business uh, doing anything like that. And I said, now wait a minute. I said, this girl has gotten saved Since this happened. Do you believe that God forgives our sin when we get saved? She said, well, yes. And if the sin is forgiven totally, cast as far as the east is from the west, then we are to receive her as a sister in Christ. And this is the situation she's in. And I said, and furthermore, this is pretty bold for a 21-year-old. I said, you're the reason why abortion is so common. And she looked at me and I said, because if this girl had had an abortion and you didn't know she was pregnant, you would have no problem with her. And I said, because she has chosen to keep the baby and not to kill the baby, now she's got a stigma and she's got consequences that are on her. And I resent that in you and in people like you. Pretty bold for a 21-year-old to say, but I was right. I was right. Because when we do that, we think wrongly about some things. I went ahead to ask her, I said, do you believe it is a sin to be pregnant before you are married? And she goes, of course. And I said, I don't. So you know why? Because that would mean Jesus was part of sin. They didn't have any answer for that. I said, it's not the pregnancy, it's the act that got you pregnant. And Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. There was no sin. 
and yet she was pregnant before marriage. Are you hearing me? We've got to think right about these kind of things. And I said, so if a young lady is pregnant before marriage and she has gotten right with God, that sin's over. Don't tag the baby with being illegitimate. There's nothing wrong with that baby. That baby is a gift from God. Somebody said there are no illegitimate children. They're just illegitimate parents. That's pretty good, isn't it? And so that's the way we've got to think. And so we've got a case that we look at. Now, secondly, I want you to notice here a desirable resolution. A desirable resolution. What would that be? Well, the best thing would be if they could get married. Now, sometimes, sometimes you find a couple who's in this situation and they're not just heathens. They're not just some bad guy did a bad thing or some bad girl did a bad thing. Sometimes they really love each other. Sometimes it, it's a good thing. Sammy and I have some friends and uh, they were kind of in this situation and they've been married nearly 40 years now. And uh, just good people who love the Lord and uh, God is using them and it was a good thing. But there are situations, there are situations that aren't quite like that. So the Bible tells us here that the best thing would be he shall pay the bride price, the dowry, they did that, for her to be his wife and marry her, to take responsibility for her, to uh, pay the girl's family the dowry and to uh, go ahead and marry the man. And did you know something interesting? If you were to go to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 29, this man, once he does this and then marries the girl, he is forbidden to divorce her. Isn't that interesting? She's never to be thrown aside or tossed aside like an old shoe or uh, for someone else. Because, um, you know, when you think about it, this is still a covenant that is made before God. And so uh, all of this shows that the man is an honorable man, that he respects the family, that he has indeed sinned, he's made a mistake, but he is uh, not that type of person. And he is uh, going to be able, if he can pay the bride price, Part of that was not just, you know, what kind of a weird culture is this? Is my daughter a possession that a man pays for? No, it actually shows that when you pay the dowry, it means you have resources to take care of a family. And so uh, this is what this is about. This man says to a father, I made a mistake. I want to marry your daughter. And here's the money for the dowry, proving to the father that this man will be able to take care of his daughter and of his grandchildren. He has those resources to be able to do that. Now, that would be the very best thing. And that would mean that um, a man who did that 
and a woman who did that, they could still all through their life honestly say, I have not had sexual relations with anyone but my wife or but my husband. And it may have been a little out of order, but it's forgiven. And now they're living in a covenant relationship and they are having and raising their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so they go on like that. That would be wonderful if they could do that. But let's look at the next thing that comes up here. And number three, the reality to face. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the bride price of virgins. The father says, absolutely not. This guy is dishonorable. This guy has a reputation. This guy has done this with other women. This guy will not be a faithful husband. This guy will not be honorable. This guy has no respect for the laws of God. This guy has no respect for the family. Absolutely not. He not only won't marry my daughter, but he is not going to be raising my grandchildren as long as I have anything to say about it. Well, then, according to the law of Moses, the guy was to still pay the dowry. This is for the girl and um, take care of her. And uh, then he's to, you know, get out of Dodge. And so, um, as you think about this, this happens so many times. So don't think that just because somebody, a girl gets pregnant or she's caught into something like that, that I don't believe in shotgun weddings. In fact, I have counseled young ladies, don't make two mistakes by marrying this guy. And so this is what the Bible has to say about this. When I was doing youth work uh, nearly 40 years ago, that's hard to believe, uh, we had a young lady in our church. Man, she was a joy to be around. Everybody uh, liked her, and she was popular, and uh, she was faithful, and she loved the Lord Jesus. And she was involved in all kinds of Bible studies and campus ministries and things like that. In fact, there was one time where she went on a mission trip, and she came back, and boy, this will date you. She showed slides from the mission trip and God really had his hand upon her life we had a young man that started coming to some of our youth meetings and coming to church and he was interested in her and he went to her one time and he said you know would you like to go out sometime and she correctly said no I, I can't and he said why and she said because I belong to Christ and I won't date anybody who has not surrendered their life to the Lord Jesus. It's admirable, isn't it? Well, see, none of us knew that conversation. And this young man came walking down the aisle in response to an altar call one time and said, I want to be saved and give my life to Jesus. Boy, we rejoiced and we were happy and we baptized him. And he goes up to this girl and said, now that I'm a Christian, can we go out? And she said, well, no, because I've given my life to the Lord to serve in some type of ministry. And I just don't want to date anybody who is not called to ministry. You know what happened? We didn't know about that conversation. But before long, that guy walks the aisle and says, God's called me to preach. So he goes back and says, now that I'm called to preach, 
can we go out? And she said, well, I guess there's no reason. So they started dating. I watched as this girl and her passion for Christ began to cool off. You know, with teenagers, Isaac can tell you this. Whenever you see these things where a teenager that's really, really, really gung-ho for Christ, and then they back off and cool up, there's almost always a girl or a boy involved in that. And uh, that happened to this one. And I remember being at a fifth quarter one time and asking somebody where she was. And they said, I don't know, but I saw her and her boyfriend under the bleachers. Well, I knew that wasn't good. And before long, she was coming into my office, weeping. And she said, I have something I need to tell you. And I said, what is it? And she goes, I'm pregnant. She never set out to do anything like that. It just kind of happened. Was she responsible? Well, of course. But you know how things can happen. And wasn't anything where she wanted to be that way or end up that way. Her father was angry and told her to get an abortion. He was embarrassed by the whole thing. He later calmed down and repented and changed, thankfully. And... Uh, she said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I said, what about your boyfriend? And uh, he said, get an abortion. That'll be God's way of punishing us. It's horrible. She felt alone. She felt abandoned. But she wasn't going to do anything to hurt her baby. She repented. She went before the church and asked them to forgive us. I told her, I said, listen, if you want to stop the rumors and stop all of the whispering and all of that kind of stuff, just go before the church. They're God's people. They'll forgive you. And that enabled the church then to get behind her and to help her and to pray for her and to be involved in her life and to be excited about the baby. And she did that, and the church was gracious. And then they moved, and uh, she kept in contact with me after they moved and she met a young man in college, a man who was a pastor's son and a man who was called into the ministry. She had her baby and she put it up for adoption and then she married this young man and they've been married for decades now and they've been involved in pastoring churches. In fact, at one point, the man she married took my place at the church that I was at because God is faithful to forgive and God is faithful to restore. And so when I look at these passages, it reminds me, and I'll conclude with this, of what happened and how Jesus understands this. Where do we find Jesus in this situation? Well, I'll tell you, in John 8, 41, Jesus said, You were doing the works, of your, fa the works your father did, and they said to him, Boy, what a slam toward Jesus. Well, we were not born of fornication. You know what they were saying to Jesus? We've heard the stories about your mother. We've heard the stories of how your father, Joseph, is not really your father. So who is? Some Roman? Some passerby? What was your mom? A prostitute? That type of thing. It's an obvious slam toward Jesus. 
And so I want to say to anybody in here that has been involved in any kind of sexual sin, whether it's your thought life or whether it's something you've actually participated in, why is Jesus sympathetic on that? Because he knows the sting of that accusation. He understands the pain. He understands where you're coming from. He understands the hurt. He understands the temptation. And he understands the accusations and the condemnation of other people because he lived that through no fault of his own. Did you hear me say? Through no fault of his own. And so Jesus stands ready, ready to forgive. And he is sympathetic because he is a friend of sinners. And Jesus paid the price. And this is not the unpardonable sin. Breathe a sigh of relief. And thank the Lord for the God who restores. The God who brings beauty out of ashes. The God who restores what the locusts have eaten. And all God's people said... Amen. You better be thankful because if he can't forgive that sin, then he can't forgive any of yours. So don't look down your nose. Be thankful for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've never trusted Jesus today, you need the blood of Jesus to forgive you of your sins. And I invite you to call out to him as Lord and Savior because he will forgive. And I also want to say a word to any of you who may be facing some of these things that we've talked about today. And I want to remind you, Jesus is the compassionate one. Jesus is the sympathetic one. And Jesus is the one who forgives. And we will help you in any way that we possibly can. But you've got to turn to the Lord first. And when you do, 1 John 1, 9 says... That if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. Praise His holy name because all of us need to be forgiven from all types of unrighteousness. Let's stand together and we'll close with a word of prayer. And if you need any help, if you need to know how to trust Christ, talk to somebody about it. There are people all around you who would be willing to help you, and I will be willing to help you as well. Thank the Lord for His grace. Heavenly Father, we thank You that in this passage we find Your holy standard. In this passage we find where we fail and where we fail in this society so greatly but we also see a God a God who understands us a God who understands what it's like to live in this world and to face the kind of pressures that we face and we thank you for a God who redeems and a God who restores in Jesus name we pray and all God's people said Thank you so much for your time this morning. And on this Palm Sunday, may the Lord bless you. And we are going to have a service on Good Friday with our 
video and everything like that. And also, let me remind you, next Sunday on Easter Sunday, no Sunday school that day, um, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next week.